Okay, welcome everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome to session number four of our Roots 13-part series. And if I sound like I got a little deeper voice, I do. And I didn't choose that, it chose me. So I'm a little congested, but I feel fine. I just got some congestion going on. I'm thinking about trying out for bass singer in some band somewhere. Because I really believe I can go down low right now. Really low. I don't know how high I can get, but I can go low. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this beautiful February day. And thank you for the sunshine, the warm weather, and kind of renews our spirits just to experience some sunshine. Lord, I, I pray what I've been praying now for many sessions, open our minds to understand the scriptures. Because uh, to understand the word is to know your son, to know your sons, to know the father, to know the father's eternal life. So uh, tonight through the spirit, open our minds to understand so that we might know you and be known by you in Jesus name. Amen. So I'm going to read uh, the scripture we've been closing with in every session, and um, it's a good way to start. It's a good way to close. Um, it's kind of like the calibration of your compass, and everybody needs to calibrate your compass. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Now, I hope that means everybody here, you've been born again. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. One of the battles we have in the church is that we, we get distracted. And in our mind and our heart is distracted. And the world's got so much stuff that it throws at you and you get distracted and you start looking at it and you take your mind off of, of what God has in plan uh, in store in the eternal realm. So when I read the Randy Alcorn book called Heaven, it made me think about this question. What will it be like when the curse is lifted? What would, what, what's the difference between the universe when the curse of God is lifted? Uh, everything's going to be different. Uh, you know the story. God told them don't, but they did, and that brought a curse. And Genesis 3.3 says, but... But God did say, this is Eve speaking to the serpent, you must not eat fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. It's a curse. There were other details, effects of the curse other than death. And this is the point I'm trying to make as we lay the foundation tonight. You will surely die. Well, obviously that's the, the main event of the curse. But it affected more than just the, the last day. It affected the days going up to the last day. It affected everything. Not just the end. It affects the beginning and the middle and, and the end. It affects everything. So your relationships, I want you to think about that. Your relationships with other people are affected by the curse that God put on Adam and Eve. Your life's purpose is affected by this curse. How, how, you, how you pursue purpose and meaning in life, it's, it's affected by the curse. Your, your work is affected by the curse. Your health and longevity is affected by the curse. Your thoughts, your feelings are affected by the curse. However, we, we can all agree that the main curse 
is still death. We, we come to the earth with an expiration date, like a piece of fruit, you know. You know, you go to the grocery store and they've got perishable and non-perishable items. We're in the perishable section. Okay, we're not in the non-perishable. Now, if you're in Christ, you've got the resurrection, which we're going to talk about again, but the resurrection won't be in the flesh you have now. It'll be in a new, non-perishable flesh. So you have to understand that there was no death in the garden before sin. It was like heaven. The sin of Adam brought a curse from God upon all mankind, but Jesus, the second Adam, the Bible actually calls him the last Adam, he broke that curse by his perfect life and his sacrifice on Calvary. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse. So here, here's the first point tonight. We're born under a curse. You don't do anything to get the curse. You got the curse because you showed up here. Everybody's under the curse. No exceptions. So Christ redeemed us from the curse. The word redeemed means to be, to be brought out of or to brought back from, to take you out of the curse. The curse of the law because a curse, but by he, he, how did he redeem us? By becoming a, a curse. So he, he's an eternal being. Jesus comes to the earth, God in the flesh. He's an eternal being. He's not subject to death, right? He's eternal. Always was, is, and will be. He's eternal. But he came and put himself in human flesh and made himself subject to death. He took on mortality. So understand that well, this verse says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming mortal. By becoming a man. By, by becoming what we were under the curse. Like mortality. Here's, here's a being that is eternal who presents himself in, an eter in a perishable body. Why? So that he could give you an imperishable body. And that's what it costs. Understand, that's what it costs. For it is written, and he's going to quote the scripture. And I love how he does this. Paul does this to, to validate authority. And to validate authority says, for it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. So Jesus became a curse. So why did the law bring a curse? Because we're lawbreakers. And the law revealed our lawlessness. And if you doubt that, um, just why do you think they put speed limit signs up out here on 127? Why? To reveal your lawlessness. Then they do. And they do. You, you say 55 and it, 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 it reveals 56 is not 55. And I'm not preaching to you because I got it too. Okay? It reveals our lawlessness. The, the law. So 1 Corinthians 15, 22, For as in Adam all die. So in Christ, we be made alive. So let's kind of do this mathematical equation. Adam equals curse. As in Adam, all die. Adam equals 
curse. It's, it's irrefutable. It's 100%. Adam equals curse. And we're all from Adam. It's one of the dangers of evolution. One of the dangers of evolutionary teaching is it removes the reason people die. Puts in a substitute reason. The reason people die is you came from Adam. Everybody came from Adam and you're under a curse. You're going to die. So why would you need Jesus if you believe in evolution? You don't even understand the origin of sin or you don't understand the origin of the curse. And why would Jesus be the cure to the curse if you don't accept that there was a curse? You see the problem with evolution? There's a million problems with evolution. Especially just because it's a lie. So if Adam equals curse, Jesus equals no curse. Adam equals death, Jesus equals life. Now, and I, I love how, I love this point. That's why Jesus says to Nicodemus and to the church in John chapter 3, you, you have to be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. You got to be born again. Why? Because when I was born, when you were born, when all humanity was born, except one man, all humanity was born, my daddy's 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 daddy's, 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 daddy's was Adam. So, I'm born into a genealogy that's cursed, and everybody else is too. But here's the beautiful thing. In fact, it was years ago that it just hit me one day when I was thinking. There's only one person on planet Earth whose daddy, daddy's 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 daddy is an Adam. That's why the virgin birth is so critical, so crucial to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if a church ejects the virgin birth, it's apostasy. Because the virgin birth proves why there was a man who could undo the curse. Because his father isn't from Adam. So here's what happens. When you're born again, when you accept Jesus Christ, come to faith in Christ, you're born of the water, born of the Spirit. By the way, that's in the same context of Nicodemus saying you've got to be born again. When you're born of the water and born of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, what happens spiritually speaking is you come out of Adam's genealogy, spiritual genealogy, and you enter into a new genealogy. And now you're a brother of Jesus and your father becomes his father because you became brothers with him. You got drafted into a new family. Grafted into a new family. And if you don't get in this new family, you're going to die. If you don't get in this new family, you're under the curse when you meet God. And what's the curse? Death. And what ultimately is death? Separation from God. Ultimately, you're forever separated from God. Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death came through sin, Adam, and in, the, in this way, death came to all men, Adam, and we all come from Adam because we all sin. Jesus came to break the curse, but some of you would say, hey, Terry, Jesus came to break the curse, but believers are still dying. But believers, this is what the world would say, not a believer, I hope. But if Jesus came to break the curse and Jesus comes in and you, 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 not, you break the curse, then why do believers die? Listen to what Jesus says about that. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus says to Martha, 
I am the resurrection. Now, lots of times people just read through that. So let's look at the first part of his statement. I'm the resurrection. I want you to think about this. Ready? It's one of those simple truths. The resurrection of the dead cures death 100% of the time. It's 100% effective. It's not 99% effective. It's 100% effective. If a person drops dead and they resurrect from the dead, they're not dead. Is this complicated? It's not. The resurrection of the dead cures death 100%. Can you imagine what would happen in the medical industry if they could offer you a 100% cure to any disease? To any disease. They'd be the richest people on planet earth, right? You could get a pill and you, you, can, you can cheat death. It's a, it's a 100% cure. Nothing in our world has a 100% cure. This does. So Jesus comes to a graveyard of four-day dead Lazarus and announces, I can cure death 100% of the time. How? Resurrection. And in a little while, he walks over to Lazarus and says, let me demonstrate. Lazarus, come out. He's four-day dead. You know, he's already starting to stink a little bit. And he's, he's coming out. Uh, resurrection cures death. Then he says this, and the life. Not just does he resurrect your body, he gives you life. His life, not Adam life. Uh-uh, that comes with an expiration date, remember? I'm going to give you my life. My life doesn't expire because I'm an eternal being, okay? And then here's the condition. So, wow, what a marketing strategy. I'm going to give you a resurrection. I'm going to give you life. What's the condition? What's the catch? He who believes in me. There it is. You got to believe in this resurrection. You got to believe in this life. Whoever, who he, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. Now, this has particular application because Lazarus is just right over here four day dead. So he's just had this conversation with Martha when he said, Martha, your, your brother's going to rise again. She said, I know he's going to rise again on the last day. But I'm not happy about the last day. You know, I, I, I want him to rise again now. And that's when he puts this in context. Whoever believes in me will live, even if he's four days dead. Okay, what if he's 2,000 years dead? What if he's 4,000 years dead? This is where we're going, okay? This is where we're going. You mean the resurrection works that long after the dead person's been buried? Uh-huh. I told you, it's the greatest medicine in the world. It's got 100% effectivity. And then he comes to a second category. So whoever believes in me would live, even if they buried you in the ground somewhere. And whoever lives and, so now he's got lives and believes. But you're not dead yet. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Can you imagine being in the audience that day and hearing that? And they're going to think, oh, he's, who's going to believe that? Never die. Ne never die. And then he says those four words. I don't, I don't know how many times I've, I've done this at funerals when I, I, I preach a funeral. And I usually use something like this. And I say, and then he does a four-word question that will determine your eternity. Do you believe this? It will affect your entire eternity. Do you? 
Because the condition of the resurrection is based upon do you believe this? That's how you get access to the medicine that brings the resurrection. One of these days, I hope soon, three things are going to happen. Three things are going to happen. There's going to be a loud shout from heaven. There's going to be a voice of the archangel, maybe Gabriel, and the trumpet call of God. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Now, let's stop. Who's he talking about? Dead and buried relatives, friends and relatives, right? Is that what we're talking about? I don't want you to be ignorant. Now, ignorant don't mean, doesn't mean you're stupid. It means you don't know. I don't want you to not know about the condition of your fellow friends and neighbors and family members that are already dead and buried. I don't want you to live without hope about the dead and buried people that you've lost, okay? You got to get the context. What, what's going to give me hope about my dead and buried family members? We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Oh, here it comes. Here it comes. I know a guy that died and rose again. What? We believe that Jesus died and rose again. So, if he could do it, we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. Oh, 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 oh. So, that dead and buried person, when we buried their body in the graveyard, if they were a believer, if they were a believer, if they were a believer, their soul exited that body and went into the presence of Christ. So when this loud shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet blast and Jesus comes, and I'm going to show you that in a minute, he's bringing some people with him. They're coming with him. Let, let me read it. God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Those who have been dead and buried. He's bringing souls. Their bodies are in the ground. Their bodies aren't in heaven. If you want to go check, go check, okay? I'm not going with you when you go check, but you can go check. Their bodies are still in the ground. But their souls with God, with Christ. So the soul's coming back. Why would it come back here? If you're in heaven with Jesus and Jesus comes back at the loud shout, why would you come back? Oh, I wish the church could announce this to the world. Why? Because you're going to get a new body. And that body that's buried in the ground, them bones are going to rise again. Them bones, them bones, them dry bones. I told you I can go deep tonight. <laughs> Makes me want to sing a song. And then he says, according to the Lord's own word. So Paul heard this from Jesus. I got goosebumps. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left still standing upright till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Hmm. It means that people who have already been dead and buried are still ahead of us in more ways than one. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven 
with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And here it comes. The dead in Christ will rise first. So, when these people come with Jesus, they're souls. These are souls of dead people, dead Christians. You've got to be a Christian for this to have application. When, when Jesus comes back at the trumpet, the souls are coming. Why? Because those bodies are going to start coming out of the ground. Those bodies are going to start rising. And he's going to take that soul and he's going to regenerate that body that into immortal, eternal flesh. And here's what he's going to do. He's going to put that soul in a new body. He's going to do it. Now, if you're struggling with that, listen. If you're in the room tonight and you struggle with that in your mind, this is a foundation of our faith. This is what gets you through storms in life. This is what gets you through Social Security and on into the rest of life. <laughs> what? Because I'm going to get a new body. This one's wearing out. I'm going to get a new one. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. The dead in Christ get to go first. And I, I got to tell you this, because I know I've shared it before, but it's, it's still, still good. I live on a hillside in Corinth Church, my home church, and its graveyard is on the hillside just over the valley from me. I can see the graveyard from my house. And when my kids were growing up, my, all of my kids were growing up, I would go out in the yard and I would say to them, now, if you hear a trumpet, Y'all know where this is going. So these little kids say, yes, daddy. So when, when you hear a trumpet and a loud shout and, a, and the voice of the archangel, just look, look over there. Look over there. Because those, gra those graves are going to start busting open. Bust, busting, 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 busting. And all these, all these bodies, bones, and them dry bones, they're going to start rising up out of the air. Mama! <laughs> That's a true story, by the way. That's really going to happen. I'll bet my soul, my life, this is really going to happen. It's called faith. And after that, what? The dead in Christ just got extracted from the tombs extracted by Jesus. And, and okay, so they get to go first. Then we get to catch up, okay? Right? So we're still on the earth. As of right now, we're still standing here watching, whoa, what just happened? So after that, not, not long time, but just right after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. Here's where the word rapture comes from. We'll be caught up together with them. So while they get to go first, we catch up in the clouds. Together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. He's not on the earth. He's not standing on Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. Nope, 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 nope. That comes later. We're meeting him in the, in the air, in the clouds. And so we will be with the Lord, how long? How long? Forever. 
forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Did it work? Works for me every time I read it. So look again at verse 14. We believe that Jesus died and rose again so that we believe that God will bring back with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So who are these people that God will bring back with Jesus? They are the departed saints. Um, let me, let me, it says dead in Christ. Dead in Christ shall rise first. I know there's some controversy about that interpretation. I'm going to just tell you mine. I, I believe that's church age saints. Church age. Dead in Christ probably is a reference from the day of Pentecost when the, when the church begins until the day of the trumpet. And the, the other resurrection of the Old Testament saints is another event. Um, I don't have time to get into detail of that. We can cover that at another time. Um, I want to read how the New Living Translation does that same verse. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers. The believers who have died. The believers. So that would... Uh, that's, that's again, that's church age. That's the Pentecost to today. So in the curse is broken. It's not going to be broken. It's broken. The curse has been broken. If you die today in Christ, and I want you to understand this only applies to if, if you're in Christ, your body will go into the ground, but your person, your spirit, your soul will go to be with Christ until he returns. Loud shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God. It's, many refer to it as the resurrection of the last day. So, here we go. What about the time when the curse will be finally broken? Finally broken. Like, I can say the curse is broken because we have hope in the resurrection. But what about the time when it will be finally broken? For now, we still live in the fallen Babylon world, using last Sunday's analogy. Even though the curse has been broken, Jesus has not yet begun to reign. And we still live in corrupted flesh. So we're still in broken bodies, cursed bodies, even though I've been born again. Even though I've been born again, I'm still wrapped in human flesh that, that has to be transformed. I cannot enter heaven in this body. I cannot, because it's corrupted. So what is corruptible must be put off and that which is incorruptible must be put on. That's what I just described to you that happens on that last day. So the day is coming when our Lord Jesus will reign and then we'll say, what curse? What death? That's not going to happen until Jesus' glorious appearing and the physical return to planet earth. And, and by the way, I believe that's after the millennial reign of Christ. Here's why I say that. It's at that point, after the millennial reign of Christ, that there will be no mortals on the earth. Let that sink in for a moment while I get a drink of water. No mortals on planet earth. Now, what I'm talking about is the new heaven and the new earth, the eternal kingdom. Not the millennial reign of Christ, because during the millennial reign of Christ, during that thousand years, People will still enter the millennium in the flesh, and people will still be, die. The church won't. The church came back with resurrected bodies. But 
what happens if during the tribulation you come to faith in Christ, then you, you, and you didn't die. They didn't chop your head off. You would enter the millennium in mortal flesh. That's my biggest argument against people. I, I got a lot of arguments against people who think, I'm going to wait and see if there's a rapture and then jump in. Not only is that just stupid, listen carefully. The church age ends at the rapture. The reward and the outcome is totally different for those who come to Christ during the millennium. And, and even if you survive the millennial, you'll enter that 1,000 years in a mortal body where if you had come into Christ before that, you would enter that millennial in eternal flesh. And you tell me which one's preferable to go into the 1,000-year reign of Christ. Whoa, that's deep. So Revelation 22, no longer will there be any curse. This is when the curse is finally lifted. Revelation 22. 22, that's the new heaven, the new earth, okay? The throne of God and the Lamb will be there in, in the city, and His servants will serve Him. Did you notice this chapter? It's the last chapter in the Bible. No more curse is where it all ends. Or could we call it the beginning? Well, this, I kind of want to call that Genesis part 2. It's the new beginning. Genesis is beginning. So it's like the new beginning of mankind. It comes when we see his face in the new heaven and the new earth. And what will it be like there in the new heaven and the new earth? Everyone in resurrected eternal flesh. What do you think it will be like to live in the new heaven and the new earth with Jesus there, the throne of the Father, the throne of the Son, or both there, it says, twice? And there's no mortals. No mortals. Everybody's in eternal flesh. So, now this is one of my favorite parts in this 13-part series, what I'm about to say. Will you be you in heaven? Who else would you be? Some people have this misconception of heaven that we will all be changed into new people that have no recollection of our past and no identity of self. So let me explain what that means. All my life, I've had people come to me and say, you think we'll know each other in heaven? And I just kind of look at them and think, do you think you'll be you in heaven? Why, why wouldn't you know people? Well, what do you think is going to happen that you didn't know anybody? The God who doesn't make any two snowflakes alike has no plans to make all of us alike either. We were all created with uniqueness and that's God's great pleasure. Now, here's my favorite statement. If I'm not me when I get to heaven, then I didn't go to heaven. Somebody else did, and they took my body. I'm going to say it again. If, if I'm not me when I get to heaven, then I didn't go to heaven. Because I is me. Do you understand? I is me. And me is me. It contains all of what I have been and all that I am. It's me. Now, if I don't know anybody in heaven, then it's not really me anymore. It's somebody else that took my body between now and then. The resurrected Jesus didn't become someone else. And neither will you. You will not become someone else. Luke 24. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. It's still me, right? 
He's identifying that it's still me. Touch me. See, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Just because we get a glorified body and we'll live in a glorified place doesn't mean we won't be us. You're still going to be you. That's why it's so important to understand the, the issue of suffering, what I talked about last week in Sunday sermon. The issue of suffering is this. Nothing shapes us, our character, like suffering and hardship. Nothing. I don't like it. You don't like it. But he's forming you, your character, and your person, and your personality for the eternal kingdom. He's not forming you for next Tuesday. He's forming you, shaping you for who you're going to be in the new body. When he puts you in that new body, that's who you're going to be. And right now, he's got to toughen us up, and he's got to create in us a, a character, you know, a resiliency, so that when we enter the eternal kingdom, we have this sense of spiritual maturity. That's what he's bringing us into maturity. So that's, that's why... That's why we experience suffering in this life, because he's preparing you for eternity. Um, Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, he will, here it comes, he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. But that doesn't mean that you're not you. You're just going to get a new tent to wrap around you. So, here comes the next question. Will we become angels? Don't get me started. I call this funeral home talk. It's when I have to bite my tongue. When somebody walks up to me in the funeral home and they say, they're an angel now. And I go, no, 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 sorry. As good as that might make you feel in that moment, it's just not true. People are people and angels are angels. And you're not going to become an angel when you get to heaven. You weren't here one either. Right? And to that, most spouses would say amen. You're going to be you in heaven. Angels have their own identities. They have their own names. There's two angels mentioned that have names, Michael and Gabriel. I look forward to meeting the angels that God has had look after me while I was on the earth. I'm being really serious. Uh, I am. Um, they've been with me since I was a child, protecting me, standing with me, whatever they could do on my behalf. And if you wonder where I get that, uh, one scripture I've actually got on here. The other one is Psalms chapter 91. In Psalms 91 it says, And he will put his angels in charge of you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And the word in that text is plural. Angels, more than one, plural, in charge of you. To lift you up, to lift you up so that you would not trip or stumble on the stone of life. I look forward to meeting them. Now, now also, you know, there's a lot of... Um, funeral home talk that's not true, but there's another kind of a folklore that is true, and it's guardian angels. Guardian angels is actually in the scripture, that God has angels, not just for adults that would lift you up lest you dash your foot against a stone, 
but angels that would be in care of children and watch over children. And, and um, this is what he says. Jesus says, Matthew 18. It is in the text. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones. For I, Jesus, tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. These little ones have angels who always are connected to God on your behalf, little child. Whoa, that helps you when you send your little kids out into this dark world. So who could know me better than those angels that God has assigned to me? So let me give you another one. Will they call me Terry in heaven? Actually, they can call me whatever they want to. Just call me. (laughs) Just call me. The Bible says that our names are recorded in the Lamb's book of life. I feel like that name will be the one that Don and Kathleen Cooper gave me. God calls people in heaven by those same names they had on earth. I want you to think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus talks about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob 2,000 years after Abraham. But he still calls him Abraham. He still calls him Isaac. He still calls him Jacob. Luke 13 says, there will be weeping, this is Jesus speaking, weeping there, gnashing of teeth, when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves, he was warning the Jewish people, you would be thrown out. So, names. You have one. Abraham had one. What about the 12 sons of Jacob, 12 sons of Israel, 12 tribes of Israel? What about the 12 apostles? They all had names. In, in Revelation 21, you've got 12 gates, and the 12 gates are going to have the names of the 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Jacob. And then you've got, the, that's the Old Testament, okay? And then you've got these 12 foundations under the city, and the 12 foundations, they all have the names of the 12 apostles. So, Names seem to carry over, right? They do seem to carry over. They mean something. It, 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 and, and let me read that to you, verse 12. It, and it's a reference of heaven, had a great high wall with 12 gates with the 12 angels at the gates. We don't know their names. And on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. We know their names. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, my daughter and I, I I don't remember where this came from, my daughter Audrey, um, but we had this conversation Oh, she was young, and um, again, I don't remember what brought it on. I just know this, that we made an agreement. She brought it up recently to me. We made an agreement that if something happened to me, this is hard to even tell you, if something happened to me and I went before her and there are three, six, nine, twelve gates, she was concerned she wouldn't be able to find me. So we made a deal. Here it is. I'm going to be at the middle gate on the eastern side. The middle gate on the eastern side. Y'all can write that down in case y'all want to look me up. Okay. 
So, you see, I believe this stuff. I believe this stuff. In addition to our earthly names, we will receive a new name. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't call it a nickname. I'd just say another name. Uh, Revelation 2.17. This is Jesus talking to the church at Pergamum. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will also give him a white stone. Now, the white stone means innocent. So, if a judge in the old times would have a black stone and a white stone, the black stone, if he would put the black stone, you're guilty. If he would give you the white stone, you'd be innocent. He says, I'm going to give you a white stone, and that means you're innocent, and I'm going to give you a new name. Written on, yeah, written on it, and known only to him who receives it. And then he writes, Jesus writes to the church of Philadelphia. It says, him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. And I will write on him the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God. Jerusalem? The new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. Jesus' new name. Um, so names matter. They're transferable. You're, you're going to take the one you've got. You'll get another one. And, and God will write his name. I always figured like it's owned by. You know, it's possession of. So will we really be perfect? Adam and Eve were perfect until they sinned and received the curse. They lost something that God had planned for humanity. And let's, let's put it, moral perfection. No human has ever been able to achieve it. Moral perfection. And since that day, we've been human, but not perfectly human. We're all human, but we're not perfectly human. You and I have never known life without the curse. And I don't know how. I, I, this has been one of those things I've thought about a lot. That when Satan duped Eve, and that whole transaction that gave dominion from Adam to Satan, in that moment, something happened to human flesh. I can't put my finger on it, and the Bible's not clear. But the flesh of man became corrupted by Satan. It, he, he, he infected us from the inside. And that infection on the inside corrupted our flesh, and it was passed down genealogically to everyone who came from Adam and Eve. So I don't think the flesh of Adam and Eve was corrupted before, but it was corrupted after. And the only thing between the before and the after was their encounter with Satan. In heaven, we will be morally perfect. But we'll still be, and this is so important, we'll still be finite beings. Do you understand what I'm saying? A lot of people have this idea that when you get to heaven, you're God. That you're infinite. That you can do anything you want. And it kind of goes, the fall of Satan is in that category, right? So we're still going to be finite beings. We'll have limits and boundaries. Things we won't be able to do. We're not almighty. That job's taken, right? That's not us. 
God is infinite and will be finite. He is infinite and we are finite. And God has no limits. We will be morally perfect, yes, but we're not God, okay? In 1 John 3, 2, dear friends, now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, okay, when he appears, we will be like him. There's that, there's that transformation. And we shall see him as he is. So we're going to be like him, made to be like him. So what will that glorious body be like? Philippians 3.21, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So what will the new body be like? It'd be like his. It'd be like his body. So let me, let me, let me give you a side note here. Remember when he appears in his glorified body to the disciples while they're in hiding and uh, he says the door being closed, he walked through the wall. Ooh, wouldn't that be cool? I don't think it'll be so cool because everybody will be able to do it. It'll just be a new realm. It's just not, some people can walk through a wall. If your body's like him and we're in all, there's no more mortals on the earth. And yeah, you walk through the wall. Everybody walks through the wall. This new body, here's the big deal to be free from the curse. Somebody say hallelujah. It will not decay or age or be subject to disease. They will at least be as good as Adam and Eve's. And I'm going to put something in here. Some of you might be stretched from some of y'all. It might be better. Maybe better than Adam and Eve's. Just let this sink in for a moment. You know what gets you to persevere through this dark Babylon world? These promises. These promises. So right now, we have been given five senses by our Creator God. We have sight, smell, touch, hearing, taste. These senses, five senses, define our humanness. We don't have complete humanness unless we have these five senses, right? This kind of defines who we are. So right now, just I'll use myself as an example. I wear one contact lens to help me see, and I can't hear very well. Some of y'all noticed I can't hear very well. Um, I wear hearing aids. I lost my hearing in the military. And I lost my eyesight just because I got old. So I wear one contact lens, and I wear hearing aids. There are things that I don't hear very clearly in this flesh. There are things I don't see very clearly in this flesh. I have limitations because of those two points. When my lowly body is transformed to be like Jesus's body. So I just want to focus, just use an example. In that moment when, when he transforms my flesh, recreates my flesh, to be like his, I will see things I've never seen. I, I, don't, I don't think we're talking about 20-20 vision. I think we're talking about seeing colors 
and distances and things that right now your, your brain can't comprehend. And, and to hear things that right now, you, your physical limitations, even if you don't have hearing aids, your physical limitation, uh, limitations couldn't even possibly comprehend. Um, and I think we're going to hear things we've never heard, taste things we've never tasted, feel things we've never felt. And, 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 and I'm going to say this, that's five senses. I don't, maybe he's going to give us 10. Maybe we'll get 20. I don't know. I'm happy with five. Don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining. But if it is these five, they're going to be glorified five. And I don't know. How many of y'all read this past week that Elon Musk has implanted a, a chip inside this guy's brain and he's healed from the chip? How many of y'all have heard that? Okay, so Elon Musk, he, he's, a, he's obviously a brilliant man. And um, so he's, he's, he did surgery and he put this chip inside this guy's brain. And this guy, now he's healed and he can stand here in front of a computer and he can think it and the computer does it through the chip. It's a real, real situation. Now, now I, what are they trying to do? What are they trying to do? So let me take it a step further. So how many of y'all know what transhumanism is? Raise your hand if you know what transhumanism is. Transhumanism is real. It's real. It's real. These people are pursuing it just as real as Elon Musk is, has physically already done this. He's done this to one person, and it does work. Now, the guy's head may blow off first time electricity surges. I don't know. They think, well, that didn't work. We should have put a surge protector on him. But this transhumanism is the idea that, I know it sounds crazy, but they have this idea. It's real. It's real. They have the idea that they can take, now they'll capture all of that identity of your personhood, soul, spirit, whatever they want to think it is in your brain, in your body and transfer it into a computer automatic, uh, some kind of a computer device, non-human device. And you could continue to live forever and cheat death as long as they plugged you in like every three or four days. <laughs> the only reason I bring that up is ask this question. What, what, are they, what are they trying to do? They're trying to become God. It won't work because God will still be God. They, they're seeking to be God. And, and that's where all this is going because they don't want to die. I don't want to die. They don't want to die. I heard, and I, I mentioned this, um, it's Donald Trump's son-in-law. Donald Trump's son-in-law, um, Jared Kirshner. I watched him doing an interview one night in this transhumanism debate. And he was telling this interviewer that he was going to the gym every day to stay in shape, take care of this body, which is good for you, take care of this body, because he believed that he lived in the generation that would be able to take the human soul, whatever, I don't know what word they use, and transfer it into a transhuman device and continue to live and never die. 
He believed, Jared Kushner, I heard him say it, believed that there's a the reason he's taking care of this, because if you die before they get ready to transfer you, then it doesn't work. But you got to be alive when the transfer takes place. So he's taking care of himself physically so that, that when the technology, uh, Elon Musk type technology is available, they can just come in and, and do this Star Trek thing and they're just going to just boop, boop, and you're over here. But over here, you're not a human. But, but you're you in the new body. What are they trying to do? What Jesus already did. Except Jesus' works, theirs won't. I'm not saying they won't pull it off. But I'm thinking if that becomes humanity, I don't want to live here. I don't want to live here. Wow, I'm running out of time. Will we eat in heaven or experience hunger? This is a lot, this is big to some of y'all. Will we get to eat? When do we eat? When do we eat? That's the word around my house. When do we eat? Revelation 7, 16. Never again will they be hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. It's talking about the eternal kingdom. So, I don't think this means a lack of desire or appetite. It means that all of our desires and appetites will be fully met. So, do you see the difference between, it's not like you're going to be a cyborg up there and you never eat, okay? It's the idea that, yeah, you will eat, but you will never be in want. Because every desire that God gives you in the new body will also be met by his loving provision in the new world. Right? Adam and Eve ate before the curse. Did they eat? Yeah. So we're going to go back to the garden, back to Adam and Eve. While they were perfect, they still ate. Right? They ate. In Genesis 1.29, then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every... I'm about to get tickled here. Some of y'all thinking, but they're vegans. <laughs> oh, they're, be they're vegetarians. <laughs> I give you every seed-bearing plant. Some of y'all are going to go home so upset now. <laughs> I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. And this will be your food. Yes, they were, if you want to call that vegetarian, until after the flood. Yeah, they were. Why? Why? Do y'all know the answer? They didn't, you know, they didn't kill stuff, you know. I mean, killing stuff was kind of not kosher until after Noah comes off the boat. So, yeah, they're vegetarians until after the flood. But, but, but I got some good news for you meat eaters, okay? I didn't put it in the text because I didn't think about it until this morning. But if you want to write it down so that you can get some comfort later on tonight, it's Isaiah 25, 6 and 8. And here's what it says. And this is the millennial kingdom. This is while Jesus is reigning on the earth for a thousand years, on this earth, a thousand years. But Christians are in eternal flesh, okay? So Christians are in eternal flesh. Here's what it says. In Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. A delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and da, 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 choice meat. Yes. <laughs> choice meat. 
Okay, no nuts and fruits in that session. Why do I, eating is not a curse. Dying from eating is the curse. I love to eat here and I'll love to eat in heaven. Jesus ate fish in his resurrected body. Somebody say hallelujah because I love fish. God talks about heaven being a wedding feast at the table with real food. Adam and Eve had water to drink in the garden. I believe we'll drink water in heaven. Revelation 21. He said to me, it is done. God has made everything new and the curse is gone in this context. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end to him who is thirsty. I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. In Revelation 22, this is Eden, the Garden of Eden restored. Then the angel showed me a river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Then the leaves and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. That's what we're looking for tonight. No longer will there be any curse. Everything changes. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him and they will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. What is more satisfying than a cool drink of water on a beautiful sunny day? That satisfies my humanness, right? God has wired me to desire water, cool water. So here's my closing. Let me ask this wonderful question. Which would be better, living forever in heaven without a single need or living forever in heaven with many needs and all of them fully satisfied by God all the time? I'll take number two. It is our needs and desires that make us human. It is our needs that make us alive. Dead people don't need anything. Jesus canceled the curse when he died on the cross at Calvary. And if I die tonight, my spirit will depart this fleshly body and move to the presence of God where my spirit will dwell with Jesus until I receive my glorious body, resurrected, eternal body at the resurrection of the last day. And if I die before the Lord's return, I will return to earth with him. When the loud shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God occurs, but I will return to receive my body. I will return to receive my body. In 1 Thessalonians 4.14, 4, For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Coming back for what? Coming back for what? You got to think about it. Why would we come back here? Because our flesh has been buried here. And I don't have time to go into it tonight. No way. But, but a lot of people have, you know, I've got these top 10 questions asked me in the ministry. You know what's on the top 10 list? Cremation. And we'll have to talk about it later. Okay. But my body is going to be in the ground. So when I come back with him, if, if I don't stay here until the rapture, which by the way, I still believe I'm going to be here when the rapture occurs. Um, if I survive until the coming of Jesus, 
for his bride, the church. I will never see a physical death and my body will be transformed into a glorious body like his as I rise to meet him in the air. Either way, either way, think of A and B. The curse is lifted. Either way. I told somebody today, either I meet him through the graveyard or I meet him through the clouds. Either way I meet him, it's the same. Has the curse been lifted for everyone? Are you ready? Yes. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever in the world would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. So the second question is, will everyone be freed from the curse? No. No. Why? They don't believe. Matthew 25, then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Those who are what? What's the word? Cursed. You didn't get the curse lifted. You remain cursed forever. How can you get the curse lifted? The one who died on curse, it died on a cursed tree, Jesus became the curse of mine. He took my curse. Do you know why you were set free from the curse? Because Jesus took your curse himself. On the tree should have been you. On the tree should have been me. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. That day on the cross, the wrath and curse of God was poured out on his one and only son. God cursed his only son. I remember years ago, I, I, I saw this, this scene unfold in my mind, that on the cross that day, here's the Father in heaven. Here's Jesus who the Father asked to go and lay on the cross. Okay, and here's what God did to his son that day. He struck him. He struck his son. Do not think the Romans did it. They were party. There's no amount of Romans could have held him on that tree. Do not think the Jews did it. They were party. No amount of Jews could have held him on that tree. God crucified his only son. He struck him. And that's going to be you unless he has redeemed you. He will strike you. And you will not survive it. You will be the cursed unless he becomes your cursed. Isaiah 53, he was pierced. That's the cross for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought Terry Cooper peace was upon him that day when God struck him. And by his wounds, I am healed. So tonight I want to close the way we closed the last couple of weeks. Get your papers out. I want you to read it with me. Since then, I have been raised with Christ. I will set my heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I will set my mind on things above, not on earthly things, for I died. And my life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is my life, appears, then I 
will also appear with him in glory. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word, for these promises. We stand on your truth. We wait for your coming. Come soon, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.